Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. The Super Bowl is just over a week away, and we are joined by one of the, the voices, the faces, the man on the Telestrator next Sunday night uh, when the, the Rams take on the Chiefs. Myself, Stuart Court, is first here, all, as always, here with Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good, Stu. You can tell we don't normally record in the morning. You just said the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. I mean, what a way to introduce the guest. They should be. They should be. It's it's because it's because your uh, better half has just mentioned that the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. It got she's indoctrinated the the um, the storyline of the NFL season. I think there you go. Well, let's uh, let's crack on because we've got great guests <laughs> with us this week. Uh, yeah, that's said he's the man on the telestrator. He is host of Coffee with Coach Ryan Bold. He and also obviously the Inside the NFL podcast with Neil Reynolds and the special teams coach now of the Montreal Alouettes and CFL. Finally, it's. We are delighted to uh, finally welcome on the Ped Pod, Mr. Jeff Jeff Reinbold. How are we, sir? Doing really good, guys. I appreciate you bringing me on. I apologize for a little bit of this background, noise, but this is I'm having coffee this morning, so uh, trying to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> it's okay. Now we appreciate you taking the time. Um, like, so how has it been in the last few weeks in that Sky Studio? Because the first weekend was a bit of a dirt of all kind of blowouts. It's kind of a bit lopsided, but the last two weeks has been what seven, eight of the best playoff games in the last few years, isn't it? It's been all, all yeah, down to the wire, everything. It's amazing, Stuart, that the the first weekend there was a lot of talk about you know we've got too many teams in the playoffs. It just you know the games weren't good games, and I, you know I don't know if I buy that, but I tell you what, the league came back with a vengeance these next two weeks because. <laughs> you think about it, the, the divisional round, there were more games with walk-off finishes than in the entire history of the National Football League playoffs. There had never been four walk-off finishes in the entire history of the NFL playoffs, and we got them all in one weekend and then got another one the next weekend. So <laughs> I think it's hard to beat, man. Yeah, I don't... Jeff, when... Um... When ex-soccer players retire, they say, you know what, I really miss really miss being in the locker room and the locker room chat. And I'm sure that's probably the same with you guys. But if there's something I always notice, when you guys get a chance to talk ball on TV, you just seem to have the best time, everyone. It just seems to unite everyone. You had you got Jason Bell on and Baldy and Cliff Averill's been on. It just seems like you really get to enjoy breaking down what's going on on the screen and educating us in the process. Yeah, you know what? It's been a passion of mine. Really, it's I don't do it for the money. I don't do it. Certainly, you know, it's hard for me to leave Hawaii for, you know, you only get a little bit of time in the offseason and to take a month or a month and a half of it and and come to England. I wouldn't do it if I didn't if it wasn't a, you know, a passion project of mine. You know, the game has been so good to me. And I think this is the way that Jason and, and Sean and Baldy and all of us feels the game's been so good to us and given us so very much and this is a way of paying it back and paying it forward you know uh, because there's no greater fun for me than when like yesterday I was at the pub and these two guys from Glasgow walked over and we talked football for half an hour and it was really 
you know what's 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 fascinating adam is that in the time that i've been doing this the knowledge and the complexity and the sophistication of the uk fans has gone out the roof right and and the other day for the first time uh one of one of the bosses said that sky passed the message down to you know to not be so use such technical language on the telestrator but i think that was probably because he didn't understand it because certainly the, the fans i think the fans really do have a really good knowledge now of our game i was actually gonna gonna go on to ask that because you know, i was talking to someone yesterday about the failure of the Seahawk bare front in the last season. That's something I would never have expected, you know, to, to go into. So is that something that you've done organically over the years, like make it slightly more technical, or is it just a vibe that you get from Neil or from the feedback you get? Because it's great seeing that you guys, you know, take a play, break it down. And from our perspective, the knowledge we get is, is, is invaluable. Yeah. I think the thing that, that we try and keep up, you know, a finger on the pulse of just what do the fans want, right? And the feedback that I keep getting over and over and over and over again is that fans really do, just like you said, enjoy that when they learn, you know, they, they understand the structural game now, right? Now the nuances of the game, why you do certain things, why you build a formation, what it does to the defense, you know, how you protect the gap, who's responsible when you make a gap exchange, you know, What's the difference between, you know, zone exchanges and zone blitzes? Things that really now, I could, I, I swear this, you could take a group of fans from the UK, take them to Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, or anywhere in the United States, sit them down in a bar at, and put a game on, and the, they could, you know, the discussion would go back and forth on an equal plane. Right. It wouldn't be like all oh, those those, you know, limeys over there. They don't know anything about football. I mean, they would get in there. I mean, it's amazing. Like people are so tuned in now to things like free agency, the draft, senior bowl, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's just amazing. Yeah, we, we had a way of Seattle a couple, six, seven weeks ago. And it, it, it was weird when you, you have guys who were there. Every other weekend, going oh, oh, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think of this guy? Uh, we we were introducing players and things to them almost for the season. They've been there every week. We're just there for a fleeting visit. So yeah, it is it is it is a palpable difference in the conversation. And also, the technical stuff you talk from the top. That's what makes Sky's coverage of cricket the best in everywhere because they just they talk about it. It's such like minutia, but it's kind of really interesting, really good to um, to watch and uh, digest. So it's 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 always good when when you and all, all the guys get on the straight and do the same for a sport, which obviously now is almost a decade embedded into this country, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, and and like like uh, you mentioned when we first started this, and I, I got I got involved really just by chance. Um, Sky was at that time, I think, a Fox affiliate. And so what Fox was doing was sending young broadcasters over here to, to learn how to be in front of the camera. And it was kind of, well, they can go over there and screw it up and then nobody will know, you know. And so Aikman started over here, Baldy started over here, 
Moose Johnson started over here. Darren Woodson started over here. And um, one of them was, wasn't able to come for a, a game and we, real late in the week and they couldn't, they couldn't get anybody else in. And so I was working for the London office and they said, hey, you've done some television in Canada. Why don't you sit in for, I think it was Darren, I think. I said, okay, I'll do it. And I, and I had no, I, I had no, I didn't look at it like it was an audition or that there was, I had no grand plan or anything, but I, I just enjoyed it. And they thought, you know, brought something to the broadcast. And so that's been over 10 years now. And it's so amazing when we first started, I mean, you know, it was like Brett Favre when he came out of Southern Mississippi and he didn't know what a nickelback was, you know, in, in his first meeting with the pack, pack of nickel, what's a nickel, right? But that's, a, that's where we were at at that time. Now, when you, like I said yesterday, when I talked to those two guys from Glasgow, shoots, we're talking about really technical football stuff, strategic stuff, you know, why, why did they play dime against that personnel group and those kinds of things. And that's really, really fun for me. Yeah. I remember when Sky really exploded their soccer coverage over here, which is the national game anyway. A lot of it was incorporating fans. They had, you know, fans in the studio on the Monday night game and they were bouncing ideas back and forth. Sky have such a hold on the coverage in the UK here, but it's still quite an underground sport, I feel, in terms of the fandom. Um, but you've got, you know, podcasts and you know the Bengals do a the UK Bengals fans do a weekly watch along party on social media like there there are fans that want to get more and more involved how do you think I don't know if it's with Sky or elsewhere that you know, you, we can bring the media that we do and, and make it more mainstream in the UK because I think there's a lot of good stuff that people put out there that would love to get more ears around it I think it's, it's kind of grown organically right and NFL UK has done a really good job in my opinion, of there, there's kind of a there's kind of a uh, flow chart, I guess, if you will, of fandom. Right? It's the grassroots, don't know anything about the game fans that typically are younger younger people. That they've got things like flag football and 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 really the show that Jason and OC do on BBC because it's on terrestrial TV is great for that, and it's kind of marketed to that that initial fan, that younger fan, that newer fan. Um, there's not a lot of technical football in it, which it shouldn't be because you don't want to over, you know, I think there's a danger sometimes too, the other way, going the other way, when you over technicalize it and then you get paralysis, what we call in, in coaching, paralysis of analysis, right? Where you, it's like, I don't understand that. That's just all some crazy language. But there's kind of like a pathway that we're developing for the fans to grow. That the UK games have been instrumental in that. Sky's coverage has been instrumental in that. And then as we expand and do more of our own broadcast, I think it's great to have around the NFL podcast and it's, you know Mike Florio and all those guys there. That's all. That's all good. But the more homegrown programming that we have, like overtime and inside the huddle and those things the more it speaks to what the fans hear really it's it's more bespoke to the fans here and one of the reasons why i started coffee with coach was to give the fans a voice right and so if you notice when you go to our show each week almost the lion's share of the time is spent talking to 
UK fans, you know, whether it's somebody from, like you said, Uday UK and or the LA Rams UK fan club or, you know, Arrowheads abroad or any, you know, it's, and it's really interesting and, and like you say, cool to hear those how passionate they are about their teams and how they, you know, like I was asking the guy from Uday UK, I said, what was it like when, when, you know, you saw uh, field goal go through the uprights and he goes, well, I had, I said, I had to celebrate the silence because my wife and kids were upstairs sleeping, but I was on, but he said, but I was texting with all the other, you know, I mean, there's like a, there's like a culture, there's a subculture. And now what we got to do is just continue to grow that and grow that and grow that because what I love about English soccer, right. And the premiership is the way that the fandom is passed on generationally, right? And we've got to just, so we're, we're just getting into our second generation of NFL fans over here. So we've, we've got some catching up to do, but we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, uh, I think I'd have been adopted out if I chose any other soccer team apart from the one down the street from my house. I think other, I think Adam's the same as well. I think. Yeah, my dad would not have let me in the house if I uh, didn't go with the same <laughs> soccer team as him. No chance. No chance. <laughs> hey, well, fellas, you know how you guys understand this, but I was actually even surprised a little bit. I'm a Leeds fan, right? Big, big Leeds fan. I don't know anything about soccer. Couldn't tell you <laughs> if it had. I don't know if the ball has air or feathers in. Don't can't tell you, right? But I know. But I love Leeds, right? So I've been threatening at Sky to wear my leads, my leads kit on the overtime show, right? And finally, I got him to say it was okay. And I wore it yesterday. And the response on Twitter was like, over here, it was like, Europe, Europe. You know what I mean? I won't use the language. And over here, you know. I mean, people, so, people, would rather, so, people would rather you offended their parents than wore the wrong soccer jersey on Sky, I think. You're, hey, you're exactly right. I could drop the F-bomb on, on the broadcast and nobody would say a word. But you wore my leads, my leads top and it was like, oh, man. Uh, also, this is a Seahawks podcast. Um, enjoyment was not something to describe most of uh, our watching of the Seahawks. Season. I tweeted on Sunday night. Was like, I actually enjoyed the NFL this year more since the Seahawks stopped playing uh, games. What was your outsider's take on everything that was going on in Seattle? Obviously, Russell Wilson was injured for the first time in his NFL career. A lot of questions remain even st- still today about the future of Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and now that kind of like triumvirate of those three with Jody Allen owning the team is going to move forward and get back into playing in deep into January. What, what was your outsider's opinion and view on everything that we... Well, I have a, I have a emotional attachment to the Seahawks because one of my, one of my favorite players I ever had it's a guy named Maurice Kelly, and Maurice is vice president of player development for the Seahawks. He played for the Hawks, and then when his playing career was over, uh, Pete brought him in, and, and they had just started the player player development move in the, in the National Football League, and Maurice was a part of that, and he's, he's actually now the foremost authority in that area in the National Football League. When they go to the rookie symposium, he puts on the rookie symposium for all the clubs in the league. And he is a, he is a, you know, part of that regime. And I want to see him have success, right? Because I, because of 
Maurice. I've, I've got an opportunity to, you know, know about, know those guys. And um, I'm a big Pete Carroll fan, always have been. Um, and, you know, the thing that they, where they seem to struggle so bad is they have really, really, really been challenged in developing an offensive line that, that's good enough to protect him. You know? And I think, I think what has happened somewhat is that you know, he's, he's gotten frustrated at times because of the fact that you know, you've been hit as much as he's been hit, right? And, and he's an ultimate competitor, just like Tom Brady and just like Josh Allen and just like Patrick Mahomes. And they're all, they're all alpha males, ultra competitive people. And so he, he measures himself by Super Bowls and he measures himself by having the opportunity to get to that level. And that's what he competes for. Hmm. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, at times I think he feels frustrated with the organization because they haven't been able to put the two. If you look at any of these guys, right. And let's talk about the elite quarterbacks, Brady, uh, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Herbert. Uh, you know, I, I, as you go through Joe Burrow, as you go through the ones that have the highest success rate, right? What do you notice about them? They've got they've got weapons around them, right? Every single one of those guys, with the exception of Brady in the playoffs, had three wide receivers, not one, three. Right now, the Seahawks have never been able. They've got two, but they haven't found a third guy. They've had a, all of those guys have. Think about it, Joe Nixon, right? You got playoff Lenny. You know, you got Clyde Edwards. You go through it, and they've got weapons around them. And you know, I don't know if, if you know. It's got to be frustrating for Russell sometimes because you know, do you? Are you guys? Where's my help? Right? Like, where is my help? And defensively, they have struggled. Ever since they disbanded the Legion of Boom, it's been a struggle, right? It's been a struggle. And, and that was a that was a unique group of people. Like, I mean, that was that may have those don't come along all the time, right? And Michael Bennett, who was part of that, is you know one of my one of my guys. And that group of personality and talent in that structure with, you know, um, Dan Quinn, and, you know, the coaching at that time, Chris Richard, and I mean, they were outstanding. They're extremely well coached and they were outstanding players. Yeah. And so if, if Russell's frustrated, I think he looks around and says, where's my guys? Where, where's my guys? <laughs> Yeah. You've uh, you've always been kind of saying Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's on the TV, which is such a great way of putting things. And I try and take one main focal point out of each NFL season. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but if anything from this year, this very much feels like the era of the player being the most important thing. Whereas, you know, when, when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, it felt very much like Pete Carroll, the scheme, the system, and of course the players were hugely important and now maybe all the more so looking back at it. But it feels now that the general viewpoint of you know, the football world is, if you don't have the guys, 
it doesn't matter what scheme you're going to put out because you know the, the players seem to be the dominant force and the players seem to have reestablished themselves as the real stars at the moment. I think, and I think we're going through, you know, football runs in cycles, right? And, but one of the things that is different, and, and I said, really, I mean, that's an amazing observation because I've talked about this to Neil a couple of times on Inside the Huddle. We are living in the day of player empowerment, right? The players have more say. They have, they figured out that the game is really them, right? And that, you know, you can, the reality has always been that you can find another coach, but you can't find another Russell Wilson, right? Those are hard to come by. You, you know, and now that's not, the, and I'm a coach and that's, I'm not devaluing but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't, if your players can't match up. It's just incredibly difficult to win. So what is the, there are two schools right now of thought about how to win. One is, and this has been kind of in vogue for the last five years since Patrick Mahomes came in the league, get yourself a quarterback that you think is a, is a franchise guy, then while he's on his rookie contract, surround him with talent, right? And then once he gets to his second contract, then you have to make a decision. Do you jettison him and get another young one and keep the core together? Or do you do what Seattle did, which is let the core leave, but you kept the, the quarterback, right? Mm. Now, the Rams have opened up a whole new can of whoop-ass because, <laughs> because they said, we're devaluing first-round draft picks. And I think this is, this is something that nobody talks about, right? I think it is a conscious – I have not sat down with Les Need and asked him this, but I did, I did talk to him when, when they came over here a couple of years ago. I think they have looked at the analytics and they have looked at the success and wins and losses rate, right? And said, yeah, those first round draft choices, I'm not sure they really are worth what we think they are. Now they're sexy and they're what everybody wants to talk about. And it gives you hope in the off season and all of that stuff. But when you can go out, even if it costs you more money and he will, even if you can go out in free agency or trade or however you do it and get an established player who I'm telling you guys, the, the learning curve, the jump, I don't get, I don't care if you play at Alabama, right. Or Georgia or any of these big time elite college programs, the jump to the national football league to pro football is incredibly high. Mm. It's, it is it is such a steep learning curve, and it's a, and it's a, especially when you're first round draft choice. There is, there is such a high expectation that sometimes it can, you know, the guy falls apart under the pressure of all that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so with the Rams though, it's kind of like they saw Von Miller out there. They weren't going to get a Von Miller in the draft, so they went and got the actual Von Miller. For that cost, that's basically the, the decision they made, and it's benefited on this season, isn't it? Since he came in, well, I, you know, I'm just I'm, and I'm basing this on watching the kid play about five games, right? This Aiden Hutchinson kid from Michigan, right? Everybody's talking about how he's going to be the first player picked in the draft. 
And I'm going, what? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But is he is he is he a good football player? Yes, he's a great football player. But the first player picked in the draft, a defensive lineman, he better be better than Nick Bosa. He better be better than Joey Bosa, better than Von Von. And you know what? You can't project that. And I watched him against Georgia in the national in, in the playoffs, and he was he disappeared. Mm. He got against elite talent, right, and disappeared in the game. Now, if you're going to be if you're going to come to the National Football League, where where you know most of the guys, even in the S, even in the SEC, most of the guys you play against don't play anymore. They're watching you play, right? So how do you project that? So you use a first round draft choice on him, right? And he comes and he struggles like a lot of them do, right? Then what do you have, right? As opposed to you can get Vaughn Miller, even if you get him on the short term, even if you get him for one year or two years, right? But you know what you're getting, right? Look at the, look at the impact Melvin Ingram made when he came to the Chiefs, right? Now, I, I, I watched the... Bills draft Boogie Basham in the second round, draft Rousseau in the first round, draft Epinesa, I think, last year in the second and third. So they've invested heavily in, in their defensive ends, and the return has been minimal. Minimal. Yeah. Right? So that's that's the, that's the issues with the draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Scottish, Nigerian via Scottish uh, lad Ajabo is better than Hutchison from the bit I've seen. Obviously, that'll be huge for NFL UK as well to have a Scottish lad picked as early as, as I think. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how all those things play out. And that's that's the that's the question that every organization has to ask. Right now, Cincinnati, interestingly, they draft Burrow and all of a sudden, you know, they've got one receiver in-house, right? Then they draft one in that same class, and then they get – they could have got Panay so well, and Joe Burrow said, no, give me Jamar Chase, <laughs> right? And, and usually what would hit – most quarterbacks are going to say, give me that give me that tackle that can protect me because I'm getting this shit knocked out of here, right? <laughs> but he said, no, give me more weapons. And then they went out, and this is so new for Cincinnati. They went out and got – Three agents to fix their defense, hmm. right? And they spent some money, but they didn't go crazy. But you look, they bring in value like Mike Hill, right? Azuka, Wuzia, Trey Henderson, you know, amazing, that's huge. And so they help all three levels of their defense in the draft and free agency. So yeah, you can turn it fast, but. You better have the draft capital, and you better have you better be really smart in the Yeah, but also the yeah, I, oh, oh, sorry, I, I love a, a little anecdote, and um, you know, you obviously surround yourself and have done with some of the, some of the best players to have played the game. What if when you've been in practices or games, is there a moment you can point to where you've seen a player do something that you're just like, that is amazing? <laughs> uh, I, t- I tell you what, two guys come to mind. And one, one, it happened when he was in the CFL. He was a rookie out of Notre Dame. And he was a tremendous college player. I don't know if he won Heisman or not. He might have. But um, it was a player named Rocket Ishmael. 
And Rocket was the wide receiver kick return. And I remember we were playing them, and he caught the first kickoff and took off. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh, my God. And you know, I've been in pro football that, at that time four or five years, and I thought I'd seen some fast guys. But that dude was like, like he was completely different. Yeah. And then the second one was Kansas City in training camp in 2001. And this guy amazed me just by walking in the room, right? Right. And again, now, now I'm 20 years into pro football, so I don't get him. I mean, I've seen guys, so you know, there's a lot of guys that are impressive, right? But when I was in Kansas City, Tony Gonzalez was holding out, right? And so I'm there, and you know, everybody's talking about Tony. Everybody's talking, is Tony going to come in? Is he not going to come in? He was threatening to go to the NBA, right? Because he had played basketball at Cal, too. And, you know, I'd seen Tony Gonzalez on film, right? And I watched him play, and I'm like, you know. But we were sitting in lunch in the, in the, in the cafeteria of University of Wisconsin, River Falls, where we had training camp. And Tony walked in the room, right? And like the whole place went quiet. And I turned and looked at him and I said, I said, I, I can't remember who I was sitting next to. I think it was Thomas McGay, who's now the special teams coach with the Giants. I looked at Thomas, I said, dude, that ain't that ain't right. And he goes, What do you mean? He goes, We said that God made that dude too perfect. Because he was like, he, he was like Tony was like, I don't know, six four probably. 265 pounds he looked like you know he looked like a statue in rome i mean he was like and he and handsome and a great smile and just and then i was like now i get it now i see why <laughs> and then he went out on the field the next day and he he could do things that guys that size and just aren't supposed to be able to do right and you know fellas let me just say this when you're coaching in pro football you're working with the elite of the elite right two percent of the guys who play college football two percent ever sign a pro contract ever right now less than that even play for two or three or four years so you're dealing with guys that are way different and even at that level there are guys like i just talked about who are special right mm. you know they're genetic freaks they're, they're just different than any of us and, and it's hard for us to even comprehend the greatness because it's just they make it look so easy tony gonzalez made every catch look like it was just you know you and me playing catch it <laughs> yeah um, we uh, we had Doug Baldwin on the pod last year and he talked about strain with that team in 2013-14 how they watch Marshawn do what he did and go, look, we have to match that effort that he puts in on for ourselves. Is that something that you can kind of relate to as a coach for your guys on the special teams units and when through your coaching career, something that you ask the guy to match the effort of the guy standing next to him kind of thing? Yeah, and, and that's why it's so important. Why you'll see certain people you know, coaches will take certain people around the league with them, right? If they can, because you always want to have, you want to have, you want to have your best leaders, your best players in your locker room, right? Because 
we you get only so much time with them, right? You're going to have an hour meeting a day. You're going to have you know, 20 minutes on the practice field working in your area. And, and, and then it's so much better when you have somebody who does it at the level you want it done because they set the standards, right? And when you watched the Rams the other night, and I'm not big on sideline speeches because I think a lot of that is contrived and guys just want to be on TV. Well, what I saw out of a guy who very rarely speaks in Aaron Donald, when he got that defense together on the sideline the other night and he challenged them to play at his level, how are you going to say no? Mm. Right. If you're Greg Gaines, how are you going to say no? Right. If you're Floyd, how are you going to say no? Right. So those kinds of guys are so valuable to you as a coach because they are the ones. They're the ones that set standard. Right. And that's really important. Yeah. These are so these coaches, obviously, you know creatures of habit i mean if pete carroll goes and brushes his teeth this morning he'll forget more about football than i'll ever know in my whole life and yet we're sat at home watching and you're in the studio and the, some of the challenges or the you know with, with the rise of analytics we're now seeing more of well maybe they should go for that on in midfield and maybe they should go for it instead of kicking the field goal we can never get into that mindset because we're on the couch we haven't got a headset on if you've got your two dev- angels and devils on each shoulder, what's that sort of conversation going like that, that kind of maybe takes you down the more conservative route? I, I, I tell you what, it's amazing the amount of information that's digested and passed during a game, right? Now, in pro football, there will be a guy, sometimes a group of guys upstairs with access to the phone that their only job is to is to be two plays or three plays or a quarter ahead in the game right so they're giving information off of basically charts right so these are analytics guys guys that really some of them don't really understand the game that much but they know they know the math right of the of the chart so a friend of mine um, has been the, uh, they, they call, I mean, he's had a bunch of titles, director of football science, you know, the head of analytics. And he's with, he's been with um, the Bears, he's been with the uh, Bills, he's been with the Dolphins, he's been with the Denver. And he, they break it down so, so tightly that, for example, let's, let's say your kicker, McPherson. Well, the, you know, there's not a lot of difference in the hashes in the NFL, right, to us. But to the kickers, sometimes that's a big, big deal, right? So if you've got a drive going at the end of a game, one of the one of the pieces of information that will come down is get the ball to the right hash. We need to get to this yard strike, right? So that's while the offensive coordinator is trying to call his next play he's got to think three plays ahead because mcpherson needs the ball on that hash right and that creates so much i think at times over information like i think if you would get an honest answer from 
Sean McDermott, he would go back to you now in hindsight without pressure and without game clock and all that other stuff and say, you know, I probably should have kicked the ball up in the air and make it land at the three yard line and make them use three seconds because it would have given one play, not two plays. Right. But there's all of that madness, that chaos on the sideline where they had just gone for two and got it. Right. And, and I'm telling you, the sideline is a, it, it can be a freaking circus, right? And then all of a sudden, all this information is going back and forth on the phone, and he's got to make a decision like that. Now, we're, we're blessed with hindsight. They're cursed by hindsight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I, I remember at that point, I, we were in the in the studio and I said they're going to kick this ball up in the air to the three yard line and make him return the ball because this percentage of kickoffs that are returned to the 50 yard line in the NFL is like less than 5% right so you put you're, you're, that's what analytics is you're starting to, you, it's playing percentages but then if you only did it by percentages you'd have a computer on the sideline just punch buttons and then let it kick out some of it's your gut, right? Mm. Some of it's knowing your personnel. Some of it's the situation. Some of it's he may have said, and I, this is the, these are the conversations we'll never know. He may have said to Leslie, "What do you want?" Or to the special teams coach, "What do you want to do?" Right? But as the head coach, he's the one that's going to take criticism if it doesn't work like it didn't work. Yeah. So about. Eight, nine years ago, I, I lived in uh, Alberta for six months, so every every night on TV was the Blue Jays, the Raptors, and it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays was CFL. Um, I think I think you were on the sideline for the Great Cup that season. I think it was 20, 2013, 2014, I think. Yeah, uh, you've, you've just made the move to the Montreal Al- Alouettes. Uh, but that's the game which is oh, it, it does have even more it's on TV over here every weekend how, how if the people haven't watched it what is coaching in the CFL with their season it's obviously only a 19 league how, 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 how does that differ from what we see you talk about on the TV every, every weekend I think the game you know the rules in the CFL are one of the reasons why I stay in the CFL as a special teams coach because it's so much more a part of the game, a big part of the game. Because, you know, you can score so many more ways. The, 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 there are so many more opportunities to advance the ball differently, right? Say, for example, it's it's more analogous in some ways to rugby, and which is what it, our game grew from, right? So if we go back to punt, you have to return the punt. You can't fair catch a punt in the CFL, right? But if you punt, if you punt the football and you're behind the punter when it's punted, you can go down and recover the ball and advance it. We have scored touchdowns that way, right? <laughs> so when, when I first went up there, and to be honest with you, fellas, I, I kind of... <laughs> I didn't, I'd never coached down on special teams in my life, right? but, <laughs> but they wanted a guy, a young guy in BC that 
could coach special teams and receivers. Well, I had coached receivers before. And a friend of mine got me an interview, got me a chance to talk to the head coach. And he said, so you can coach special teams. That, this is before I went in for the interview. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got a great name. Because <laughs> I wanted the job, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so when, when he said, okay, I want you to come in next week for an interview, I immediately called Coach Vermeil, who was the first special teams coach in the NFL, and said, I said, Coach, you always told me that yeah. you would help me. Well, I just screwed up. And he goes, what'd you do? I said, well, I got this interview and I said, I coach special teams. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a week long tutorial to get me up. <laughs> uh, so but, up um, at the Alouettes, there's uh, a quarterback me, Adam watched uh, annihilate the Huskies in 2015. Vernon Adams is the quarterback up there now, isn't he as well? I mean, he's someone who on this podcast, we, we kind of wanted the Seahawks take a run at. He's, He's still that electric kind of player, isn't he, in this area? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. You know, he's an amazing story because he was at Eastern Washington, which is where Cooper Cup went, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, they've had a number of really good players. It's a 1AA program, but it, they've had a number of good players come out of that program. And he went, he transferred to play one year at the University of Oregon. And in that one season at Oregon, he lit people up. <laughs> he is, you know, interestingly enough, I've, this will be the second University of Oregon quarterback that I've had a chance to be around and work with, Jeremiah Mazzoli being the first, who took Oregon to their first Rose Bowl in 100 years. And both of them in that Chip Kelly zone read option system are dynamic, dynamic throwers. Now, you take – Vernon Adams, and you put him on a field that's 13 and a half yards wider than the NFL field. <laughs> I mean, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Stuart and I saw that game live in Husky Stadium. Uh, and it's one of those things that, you know, your, your Tony Gonzalez moment, in a way, that was a bit like ours because mm. we watched this guy in the flesh and it's like, well, this is just different. <laughs> and as you say, I don't think he's played a snap in the NFL, which just shows the level that these guys are at. Well, I think what happens is that if you're not, and there's less and less of this now, right? But I think even in the last, it's still, it's still prevalent, right? If you don't fit the profile, okay? If you don't fit the profile, it's hard to get an opportunity, right? And, I've had, I've been fortunate enough to, to coach on teams with five different Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, five of them. I don't know, I don't know how many coaches can say that. And the, the, the best one, the most dynamic one was Doug Flutie. And Doug Flutie is no taller than I am. Right? And it took, it took Doug. He had bounced around and, you know, it, it, because what happens is you get labeled, right? And everybody said, he's too short. You can't throw from the pocket. So all that has to happen is one pass gets knocked down and immediately all the scouts look at each other and go, see, I told you, too short. Now, <laughs> if, if Ryan Lee from 6'6 gets one knocked down, they'll say, well, the, the, deep, the offensive lineman's got to get that guy's hands down. <laughs> right? that's, the, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Doug came to us. And now get this, this is still stands today. The most passing yards in one season in the history of pro football. Almost 6,500 yards in one season. I mean, we had 4,000 yard receivers. Okay. And it took that kind of year. And then 
another four or five year run of being the most outstanding player in our league to getting back to have an opportunity to go to Buffalo and then go to San Diego and finish his career because he just doesn't fit the pro- profile. Vernon Adams is the same story. Yeah. Uh, so on, on this pod and on, on socials, every year with the draft, there's always there's one profile I always look for, and it's who is the SMU Mustang wide receiver in this year's draft? We started with Cortland Sutton, James Prochet. You got Reggie Robinson this year as well. And I've, I've, obviously, that is probably something that you started because you used to be a receiver's coach for the Mustangs, for the Ponies, didn't you? Yeah, we were so fortunate when I was there that we had, <laughs> excuse me, Emmanuel was there when we got there. And, uh, he was a kid from Belleville, Texas, which is a very, very small, very tiny place. And he was more of a rodeo cowboy as a kid than he was a football player. But he was, and he was, he was 100, 180 pounds, maybe, and six feet tall, thin, really thin bone, and he had speed and, but I mean, he, he was a good, good player, right? Then we went and recruited two other kids. Um, one was a kid named Cole Beasley, who <laughs> was a coach's son from a little school called Little Elm, Texas. Right? So he's a 5'9 white kid that really is not, I mean, he's like 4'5, he's not ultra fat but he has great short burst quickness and incredible right and a great athlete for his size right and then we recruited this other kid aldrick robinson from waxahachie texas who was the state 100 meter champion now if you're the state 100 meter champion in texas at whatever level you can freaking run right and so those kids and then i recruited another kid at the end named Darius Johnson who came and played for us then made it I think he had 13 catches in one game as a rookie with with the Falcons and I was watching the Chiefs the other day and I'm I'm looking at the sideline and there's another kid that I recruited at SMU a receiver named Garrick Dieter who's been on the practice roster in Kansas City for two or three years so we had some pretty good receivers come through that program yeah 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 (laughs) I mean, and, I, I, and that's kept on because you know you, you look at Prochet, who's a great player, and uh, Sutton at Denver. There's a, it's amazing, but there's so many good players in Texas, right? Yeah. And, and typically, all of those kids, every single one of those kids, is not quite in the profile, right? Like Aldrich could run like a like unbelievable, but he was kind of a hard-handed guy. He had this really work to develop his hands, right? Cole was too small, right? Emmanuel, too small, not fast enough, right? Darius, same thing, 5'9", you know? But they they were great players. Now, Texas, at the same time, was recruiting all six, three wide receivers that were five-star guys, and none of them were making it in the national football league. You know? So it's, it's, it's more than just height, weight, speed, right? You really got to watch the tape. And that's what I think happens sometimes in the draft. You've got so many people now in scouting that really aren't football guys. They're information gatherers. So they can give you the height, weight, speed of everybody in 
football, but they can't tell you who's going to be a football player. Yeah. And that's hard to do. And that's why, that's why the re, in my opinion, the really good organizations, right. The ones that draft well, like when Ozzie Newsom was, was uh, with the Ravens, hmm. they know exactly what they want and they have, a, they put a premium on a player's production, not his numbers, but his production. Um, obviously, while we're on uh, college football, you you talk about your roots in Hawaii. It's um, it's a rough time for that program out there, isn't it? With obviously everything that happened uh, over Christmas with Todd Graham, they've got a new coach in now. That it's like in a community like Hawaii, which is kind of obviously hours from anywhere. Is 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 the football program something that's important to that community? So building it back up is something that's like. Almost has to be fast tracked. You know what? It's it is vitally important to the to the state, not only economically, right? But because football generates so much income, you know, what we call passive income, you know, the hotels, all the other things, right? Benefit from UH. But what in Hawaii, your your porch, your I don't know what I think you call it porch here in England, but that's known as a lanai in Hawaii. Well, the lanai of the university is its football team. It's its most visible entity, right? Yeah. And when it's when it's down, the the image of the university, the image of the state, everything's up, right? And Hawaiians are extremely proud people. We are the most isolated place on earth. We are further from another landmass than any other place on earth. It's five and a half hours just to get to LA in an airplane, right? So when we go, when we used to go on, we go on road trips. I, I, somebody asked me one time what it was like. I said, well, when you go on a road trip, you don't go on a road trip, you go on safari because <laughs> it is forever, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are different, but what they, they made a mistake and they brought a guy in that didn't understand the culture, didn't understand the history, didn't understand, and it really blew up on it. And there was a, there was a really, really difficult time, as you mentioned, this Christmas. This and I think what they've done is done. Timmy Chang was a record-setting quarterback there. He's young. He's from Hawaii. He played at St. Louis High School, which is the number one program in the state. You know, he brought he's brought a bunch of his teammates back into the program. There's a healing that's going on right now at the university that you know, they should be. Hawaii should always be, in my opinion, at least a seven-win team in college football. And when you have a good year, 10-win or 11-win team, right? And, you know, because there's – the Polynesian kids are built for football. They live, they, they're grown up in a culture of uh, responsibility and respect. And what they – you know, they've allowed that – you know, they too many kids are leaving the island to go to school in the mainland. You know, it's I know it's different now than it was before, but you got to keep your kids home. Like if you're at the University of Texas or Louisiana State or Alabama or whatever, the good kids in your state, you got to keep them home. 
I think that'll happen now that Timmy's in, in charge. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing in Seattle and Washington, isn't it, Adam? All the yeah. Washington State kids are going... Yeah, Jeff, I'm conscious that your steaming hot cup of coffee that you started out with is now closer to a, a frappuccino and an iced coffee than... Uh, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but we're uh, we're fortunate enough that next week the Seattle uh, special teams captain of all people is joining us, Nick Belor, on the podcast. If you had uh, one little comment for him as uh, from a special teams guy to a special teams guy, what might you say to him or, or question or play call for him? Yeah, I would tell him this. Go give Maurice Kelly a hug for me. <laughs> tell him I love him. All right? uh, yeah, so, uh, so are you guys flying out to LA next week or are you doing it from... No, we're, you know, because of COVID, yeah. Sky decided that it was too risky that if we would go out there and all of a sudden everybody's on Radio Row and we mm. you get it, like they could do without me, but they can't do without Neil and they can't do without <laughs> the producers and all that other stuff. Yeah. So Baldy's going to go and Hannah's going to go and then we'll we'll do it all from here. We got we to gotta inside the huddle every day of the week next week, so it'll be fun. Cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Where can people uh, catch you on the social media and Everything else, obviously, always. If they're in Ireland, we're going to be in Ireland tomorrow. I'm going to do a fundraising clinic for the uh, Irish American Football Federation and at uh, in Belfast. Um, so that's one way. Uh, Coffee with Coach is our podcast that we do. Uh, and then, again, you can reach me at Jeff underscore Reinbold on Twitter and in, on Instagram. And, you know, I hope that the fans will will take advantage and and uh, get together with us and talk football. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, as we say, really appreciate you taking the time out of your morning to chat to us. To enjoy one, the one, next- one, one quick thing, Jeff. What we do like to do is we, we try and make this like a chainmail experience that our guest tries to help us get our next guest on. And don't think I missed you saying that Michael Bennett is one of your guys. So you know, if you want to speak to Mike and see if he can expand his international audience into the UK, we'd love to have him. And, and hey, I'm going to tell you something. If you get Michael on, it, it'll be the podcast for the ages. I'm, just telling you. I'm not sure exactly what you're going to get, but you're going to get something that's going to be good. Well, Jeff, look, all I'm going to say is only one out of the three of us has his phone number, and it isn't you, me or Stu. Let me tell you one last story, and it's a Michael Bennett story, and it's my favorite Michael Bennett story. Please. So Michael is at A-Leaf Taylor. Just out, it's A-Leaf Taylor is a little, it's a high school in, in suburban Houston, right? And I'm recruiting Michael, and Michael really was, Michael was about six, three and a half at that time, about 235, not a great big guy, right? But he was an amazing player and some people overlooked him because they said well he's only 235 you know but I just was fascinated with the kid right and his personality was so unique and I went to do a home visit so I walk into the house and Mrs. Bennett was in the kitchen and Michael's dad Michael had there was Martellus who played in the NFL Michael and then there there was a daughter and she was probably the best athlete of the whole bunch right (laughs) And Michael and his Michael's father and mother and Michael's dad must have been 50 at that time, but he looked like he could still play. I mean, he was like Michael came from some great genes. But <laughs> I walk into the house and I go into the kitchen and it's like the second time I've been in the house, third time maybe. And I said, Miss Bennett, where's Mike? And she goes, Oh, he's out in the backyard. 
I said, what's, well, what's he doing? She goes, he's working on his pass rush moves. I said, what? She said, yes. What he had done, his sister had grown out of her, she was little, and she'd grown out of her small bed. So Michael went out and took the mattress off his sister's bed and lashed it around a tree. And he was in, he was standing in front of the tree, swatting and ripping and work, working his pass rush moves against the tree as a high school kid. And when I saw that, I said, that's my guy. <laughs> how, how, and, and how do you have like the no shoulder pad thing going back then as well? The, the Pardon really thin, me? Do you have the thin shoulder pad thing going back then as well? He hadn't he hadn't quite gotten to that stage yet. But <laughs> he was he used to love nothing more than to than to wind me up, right? <laughs> like, I would come I, and, and I learned to I learned in recruiting from some really really good recruiters, right? Like if you your best recruit, you want to always show up at school during lunchtime, and and I. He said, he said, remember, anybody can show up. You need to make an appearance, right? <laughs> so I would always show up when Michael was in lunch period because then as I walked to talk to Michael, all the kids in the school saw you, right? Yeah. And they knew you were there and you were there for, to see Mike and all this stuff like that, right? So so Mike figured it out after a while, right? And so he would, he would I'd show up and he goes, He'd say stuff like, uh, "Hey, coach, I think I'm going to go up to I think I'm going to go up to Texas this weekend for a visit. What do you think?" Right? <laughs> and he was just jerking me around because, <laughs> but that's the kind of character he was. He was a what a fun, fun kid. And you know what? Michael came to us, I think, more than any other reason, because I recruited his his girlfriend, who's now his wife. Mm -hmm. And you got to get to the influencer, right? <laughs> and, and I was cool. With, I was cool with my, Michael's mom and dad, and Martellus and everybody. Mm. But Pele, his his wife, is her mother's from Hawaii, so there was a connection. Okay. And so I recruited Pele just as hard as I recruited Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Massive appreciate your time. Enjoy the next few weeks. I think you're gonna have. Um... A few more Montreal Alouette fans when the CFL season gets up in. I love it, guys. Cool as well. uh, yeah, and it's been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks.